Last week we we had the reading through verse 52. Uh, this week I want to make some comments on it, and uh, and we'll uh, we'll try to get all the way down through verse 72 before we quit. We'll see how enduring you are. But what we see in this section of scripture is is uh, to starting if you're starting back up in in verse 52. Uh, 51 and 52, and a young man following followed him and with nothing but a linen, linen cloth about his body, and they seized him, and he left the linen cloth and ran away unclothed, we'll say. The crowd, when the crowd with swords and, and, and clubs that was led by Judas came to arrest Jesus, the crew that Jesus had warned would want the, the followers of Jesus, his disciples, his closest 11, he had warned them that they would all flee, and they all said, no, 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 not us. You have us mixed up with someone else. But when that actually occurred, everyone abandoned him. Even this young fellow who, who wasn't part of the 12, but was following, trying to see what was going on or, or for whatever reason, and so the only one of Jesus' disciples that wound up close to him at the betrayal was Judas, the betrayer. And, and he was there because he stood to profit money-wise, monetarily. I think that's, that still goes on today, that there are a lot of times when, if you just pay attention to, to the public, to the voice of the public, a lot of times the profiteers are the loudest voices speaking out for Jesus. You know, the ones who have something to really gain from, from promoting Jesus. They stand to, to gain financially. And those of us who have said when we committed our life to Christ that we would stand with him, a lot of times run away. Maybe not run away physically, but, but we hold our peace when we have opportunity to speak, or, or we may make light of the situation so that, that folks don't you know, look too cross at us. And so we, we need to not judge too harshly these who ran away, and we need to stand against those who stand for Jesus just for monetary gain. Well, the certain young man that's, that's mentioned here, uh, most people believe that it, is, it was Mark, the writer of the gospel that we're, we're looking at here, because it's, it's only mentioned in his gospel. And a lot of people believe that the, the upper room where they had the, the Lord's Supper and, and later on, or yeah, the Last Supper, and later on where the, the disciples would meet again may have belonged to Mark's mother. And so he may have followed them being a young man, just kind of wondering what's going on and, and, and probably believing in Jesus, but not close to Jesus as far as relationship. And so maybe he followed along, and then when the pressure was on, he saw that it was time to go, and, and he nearly got caught. So that's a pretty common, common understanding. And, and another reason that if, if, this was, if that was Mark, 
he may have put this in his gospel as a way of saying, look, you know, because the gospel of Mark, we have said, was probably the story, Peter's stories relayed to Mark, maybe for the purpose of, of writing the gospel or, or maybe just, just telling them to him. But he's writing down the accounts of Peter. Maybe it was a way of his saying, Peter wasn't alone, you know. Even I was there and even I ran away. We don't, we don't know. Now, Matthew Henry has a, a different take on this. And he thinks that this certain young fellow may have been somebody who was just disturbed by the, all the racket going on there in the garden. So he may have gotten out of his bed to come over and see what was going on. And then as he was accosted, he ran back to his bed. So, you know, it, it's, not, it's not critical. You won't, be, you won't get into heaven because you believe one or the other or be excluded because you believe one or the other. It's just that it was such a, a, a hubbub going on. Can you imagine an army coming out to arrest Jesus when, like Jesus said, I was with you in the temple every day. Why didn't you take me then? What's the deal of this coming out at night and, and, and with, this, with clubs and swords? So you know it was a, it was a, a row. And so what happens next, and, and we're familiar with this, and we're going to, to look at, at some of the other Gospels as well to kind of get uh, a fuller picture than, than Mark portrays here, although Mark tells us the, the, what we need to know. But Jesus is, is taken to the tribunal. And in 53 it says, uh, verse 53 of chapter 14, it says, And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and elders and tribes came together. Now, actually, when we look at the, at the bigger picture, comparing or, or you know, connecting uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see that there were actually three religious trials. And in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 18, it says that the, tells us that the first place that Jesus went was to the house of Annas. And Annas was not the high priest. Annas had been the high priest, but now his son-in-law, Caiaphas, was the high priest. And so he's, be, he's before Annas, and Annas is examining him. Now, the thing about, about Annas is, uh, is that the official way of, of appointing a, a high priest or the official uh, means of, of maintain, or being the high priest in, in Judaism was for a lifetime. They came from the line of Aaron, and they, they you know, proceeded according to who their, their parentage was and who came next, and they were high priest forever. But when Rome conquered Israel, they said that gives one person too much influence. And so they said, we will interrupt this process, and you will have a new high priest every so often. Annas had been a, a high priest for a long time. He was high priest for 16 years. And then he had such an influence with the with the Romans. He was so... Rome friendly that they accommodated him by appointing his sons five of his sons as high priest and then Caiaphas who was a son-in-law but everybody well not everybody but most people in in Judaism recognized Annas as still the power having the power of the high priest and so Jesus went to him first and he examined him and uh, what, he, what he hopes to accomplish is to get 
Jesus to incriminate himself. Annas is the, the priest maker, you know. Annas is, is the power in the, in the priesthood. Annas is the, the power behind the, the, the Jude, Jewish government that, that rules Judaism there in the midst of Rome. And so he's, he's, uh, he's hoping to, to get Jesus to, to confess something that would incriminate him. But if he, if he had, of course, that would have given the, the Jews what they wanted as far as, as convicting him of some religious crime, but it still would have been illegal according to Jewish law. And there are three of these, well, two Ill, totally illegal trials and one that's pretty illegal trials that, are, that, that came before Jesus ever is sent to Pilate. Goes to Annas first there in, in in John chapter eighteen, and then here in Mark it says that he was taken before the the council with with Caiaphas, and then there's one more in Mark chapter fifteen verse one that says, and in the morning there was a council. It was illegal by by Roman law to for them to to try to convict Jesus. And it was illegal by Jewish law to have a trial at night. And so here it is. It's it's late at night or early in the morning when Jesus is arrested in the garden and he is taken to to Annas and Annas questions him. Let's look at a few of the the questions. He, He asked him about his disciples and his teaching, he's hoping to, to prove that he's some kind of a terrorist and, and the head of some terrorist organization. And Jesus says, this is in, in John 18, verse 20, I've spoken on, openly to the world. I've always taught in the synagogue and in the temple where all Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. And he was struck for that. But what he's, he's, he's saying, look, it's illegal to have a, a night trial. There's also a, a Jewish law that says that nothing can be done to, to cause somebody who's, who's in question to incriminate themselves. They had a Fifth Amendment. No self-incrimination. And so as... As Annas and the others, Caiaphas as well, are trying to trick Jesus into saying something to, to give himself away, they're breaking their own law. Another thing is they are, they are trying to arrange and find some, some witnesses who will say that Jesus was a terrorist and was making terrorist threats. Well, there's another Jewish law are part of the Jewish law, that says no witness is allowed to speak against the accused until witnesses for the accused have spoken. So when Jesus says, look, I've testified before everybody, why don't you ask the people who have heard me to testify? Because they would be testifying for him. Maybe he's trying to help them with this trial. Get calling my witnesses first, that's, that's the right thing to do. 
They don't want to hear witnesses who are going to speak the truth. Another thing is, here in, in, in John 18, when Jesus speaks back and says, uh, why don't you ask those, they know what I've said. When he said that in verse 22 of, of John 18, it says, when he said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, is that how you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness against the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? There's another part of the Jewish law that says it is illegal to punish someone before they are proven guilty. So here it is, at night, with, with trying to get Jesus to incriminate himself, trying to find witnesses to testify against him without looking for anyone who would testify for him, in effect punishing him for... He wasn't punished for the way he spoke. He was punished, punished for who he was and, and how much they hated him. So when Annas cannot come up with what he wanted, he sends him to Caiaphas. Now, he did accomplish something. He didn't get Jesus to incriminate himself. They couldn't get witnesses together to testify against, against him at this point. But they did give time for the council to get together at Caiaphas' palace. There were 75 on the court. They needed 25 for a quorum. And so in the time that Annas interviewed Jesus, they had time to get enough people together to have a quorum. And so phase one was at Annas, taken there by the mob. Phase two is at Caiaphas' headquarters. By then, they had found some guys who would be false witnesses, who would say things that, that Jesus said. They, there were some who said, well, we heard him say that I will, this verse 58 back in, in Mark 14, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I'll build another not made with hands. Now, those of us who have read the Gospels know that Jesus never said that. He didn't talk about temples made with hands or building temples or tearing down temples made with hands. He talked about his own body as a temple going to be destroyed and, and raised up again in three days. So this is, we know this is a lie, but it has a little bit of truth in it. That, that's what makes a really good lie. But even at that, they couldn't get the witnesses to agree. Everybody couldn't agree on, on how he said it or what he said. And so they really couldn't find, they couldn't get their, their witnesses to corroborate, is that the way you pronounce that, to agree on, on what Jesus had done so they could convict him of some crime. So, he gets really frustrated. The high priest Caiaphas gets really frustrated and Jesus is remaining silent, other than there are witnesses out there who know what really went on. And so while they're testifying against him, while they're, they're, they're jugging him, he's just remaining silent. And then verse 61 tells us that the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Now, we need something to, to go along with that in Luke it, it, the account, it says that, 
He says, the high priest said, I adjure you. Which means, it's in Matthew. Matthew 26. It means, I'm putting you under oath. I adjure you. I require you to speak the truth. If you're looking for the reference, it is Matthew 26, 63. So Jesus is now under oath. Now, now watch how honorable he is. And they ask him this question because they, they, they know that what he will say, pretty sure. Well, they're pretty sure they know what he will say. And they say, honestly, swearing, under oath, tell us, are you the Son, Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Verse 62, back in Mark 14. And Jesus said, under oath, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of Father, of power, and coming with clouds of heaven. Now, the picture that I have here, and verse 63 says, and the high priest tore his garments. But as we read this in, in, the, in the account of, of Matthew and in Mark and in Luke and in John, when the high priest Caiaphas gets to this point, he has already gotten up because they, they tested Jesus trying to get him to say something. They, they talked to the witnesses trying to get them to agree. And the Caiaphas is so frustrated at this point that he gets up off his, his important seat there and he walks toward Jesus and he's kind of threatening as he comes and he says, are you indeed the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus says, I am. And you'll see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power, coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest at this point is, is coming toward Jesus and he's so, so exasperated and so shocked by hearing what Jesus says because what is Jesus saying? He is saying that he is God. He is saying that he has the all power, is, it, that's all designated power is his. That he is indeed the Messiah, the one who's, who's coming in the name of the Lord. Because, I mean, not just the name of the Lord, but that for us name means what we call somebody. But in, in biblical language, it means the character. In the character of God, he's coming as God. And so as he speaks, the, the priest is just shocked, even though this is what he wanted to hear. And he does this, this Jewish thing where he tears his garments, his royal garments garments, his, his vestiture, in shock and dismay and disgust. And he says, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. And so he asked the council, and the council says, this is easy. He deserves death. He has called himself God. That's the verdict of the religionists. Remember, these are all people who are, are supposed to be holy. These are the people who, who hold the Jewish folks to a holy standard. These are people of the book. These are the people who to teach the scripture and proclaim the scripture and hold people to the scripture. These are the people who are, are, are wanting to encourage the people to, to keep the law because they've seen how God has judged Israel through history for abandoning the law. I say, if we have any hope of, of maintaining our Jewishness, our nation, then we have got to obey God's laws. And so the, the council and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they all work together just to keep people 
in line with the law. And here they are lying and here they are breaking the law. And here they are condemning one without, without a just trial at night and condemning him to death. And that's not the end of it. Because there are those who are standing around at this point. Some of them are priests and and religious leaders. And some of them are just the guards and servants. And verse 65 of Mark 14 says, And some began to spit on him and cover his face and strike him and say, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. So everybody just gets in on the act. They now have permission from the leaders. And so now they skip down to verse or chapter 15 in Mark. And here comes phase three of the religious trial. And as soon as it was morning, because it's illegal to have a trial at night, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. Hannah's interview, Caiaphas, illegal trial, and then a hasty daytime trial, phase three of the religious. And we'll look at the the secular trial next week. The ones who struck him, it's like they have permission now. They don't even have a a lot of them. If they were were servants or, or, or soldiers, maybe some Roman soldiers who were trying to keep this thing under control, they didn't they didn't even have a dog in this fight. It's not like like they hated Jesus because he claimed to be God. It's just because when the law goes out, when the righteousness goes out, there's nothing to hold back unrighteousness. So they have a chance to beat up on someone. Now we go back up to, to verse 66 in Mark 14. And as Peter was below in the courtyard. Now we need to to go back and and catch the first reference to that. Which is back in verse 54. Verse 53 says, They led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. Verse 54, And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. So now that all this has gone on, he's been interviewed by Annas. He's been taken, to, well, then as they go to Caiaphas, Peter follows at a distance and he sneaks in. But also, we, we, you might look over to John chapter 18 and see that, that John helped get Peter in. John chapter 18, verse 15, I'll read it to you. Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. John doesn't like to mention his name, his own name. Since that disciple, John, was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest, but Peter stood outside of the door. And so the other disciple, John, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. So now, everything's working here. Jesus is upstairs being, being up in the, the palace, being examined, down on, on the ground floor, out in the yard. Peter has come in. And while Jesus is being questioned and abused, Peter is down in the courtyard 
And Peter is the one who said, no, if everybody else abandoned you, you can be sure I will not. I will die for you. Y'all remember that? Now Peter, a servant girl, comes to him in verse 66. A servant girl of the high priest came, and, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and a rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to bystanders, This man is, is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you're a Galilean. Okay. She quizzes him. He says, No, I don't know him. She tells others he's one of them, but he's denying it. That's two. And after a little while, the bystanders began to talk to him. Certainly you are one of them. You're a Galilean. And he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus has said, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Where did Peter go wrong? Some people say, well, you go back over here to, to the verse that says, verse 54, where it says, and Peter followed him at a distance. And it makes a really good sermon point to say that if, if we're going to follow Jesus, we've got to follow him close because if we follow him at a distance, we'll wind up denying him sure as shooting. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure that, that that's the problem. I think the problem may go back before that. When Jesus said, quotes the scripture that says, when the shepherd is struck, the sheep will scatter. And he gives them permission and he kind of gives them direction. Just get out. Get away. And, but Peter, he's kind of got his own program, you know. So he's going to follow Jesus at a distance, at a safe distance. Because Peter knows how to take care of himself. Peter knows how to take care of himself. Now what he does when he follows, it, it not, I don't think the problem is following at a distance as much as, when you, when you read the rest of, of verse 54 there, it says, he, he followed it at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest and he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. That's the end of verse 54. To me, I see the greatest problem here is that he's trying to blend in with the guards. He's trying to blend in with the people who, who either have no use for Jesus or who hate Jesus. Matter of fact, that word there, and in, in, I think in some of the translations it says that he was sitting with the servants. It is the same word that's used when it... When it when it says that, that those who were standing around after Jesus' condemnation was pronounced and, and, and decided to bleed on him, verse 65, and the guards received him with blows, that's the same word it, that really indicates that those are the same people. And so when Peter is trying to avoid looking like he belongs to Jesus, that's a problem because what he does is he tries to blend in with the people who are eventually going to abuse Jesus. And the reason that he did that is because Peter can take care of himself. That's where we mess up. 
That's where followers of Jesus mess up. It's when we decide we can take care of ourselves. He can protect himself. He's going to blend in. In verse 70, he's going to deny that he knows Jesus. In verse 68, he denies that he knows Jesus, not because he hates Jesus, not because he doesn't know Jesus, but because he's got to protect himself. Three times he denies Jesus because what he wants to do is not not distance himself from Jesus, but he just feels like he needs to protect himself. Upstairs, Jesus is not changing. He's not trying to take up for himself. Now, remember who Jesus is? In, in one account, it says when the, when the crowd gathered around him to take him away there at the, uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Peter pulled out his sword, Jesus said, put it away. Don't you know that if I wanted to, I could ask the Father and he would send legions of angels to protect me? When Jesus was in the court, he still had that same authority. He still had that power. He didn't really need angels because he's the one who spoke everything into existence and he's the one who holds everything together. And all he had to do was just stop holding those people together. And he didn't defend himself because he was weak. He didn't fail to, to defend himself because he was weak. He was doing the will of the Father. And he was doing what was best for us. And he was exhibiting his strength and his love for us. Peter misunderstood that. Peter thought that he had to take care of himself because if he just went along... If he admitted that he belonged to Jesus, he'd be in trouble. He'd be disgraced at least. And maybe killed along with Jesus. So he's got to take care of himself. I think this is an important thing for us to consider here at this time of year. Because there's always that discussion of, of whether you should say Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays or... Or how open we should be about, about who Jesus is or how much we ought to just go along. Now, I'm not saying you need to be obnoxious. Because there are some people who are not persecuted for righteousness sake. They are persecuted because they are jerks. <laughs> and you don't get any points for that. Peter's trying to protect himself. And when he denies Jesus that third time and that rooster crows for the second time he is broken is he broken because the rooster preached such a good sermon you know there, there are times in the Bible when, when God used used creatures remember the, Balaam's donkey spoke to him here I, I, the, God uses a a, a rooster to bring conviction, but what he uses the rooster to do is he points Peter back to what? The Word. Back to the Word of God. Back to the Word of Jesus. Because he says, when he heard that rooster crow the third time, the second time, he remembered how Jesus had said. That's what we need to do. We need to always go back to the Word of God. We need to go back to the Word of God before we deny Him three times. We need to cling to the Word of God before we 
figure out how we're going to take care of ourselves. And Peter broke down and he wept. And the word wept is a Hebraism. It says more than just tears came to his eyes. Matter of fact, if if you read a little bit of Robertson word pictures and those kind of things where they they describe this word, there are there are it's it's like he he broke down and and more than wept, he threw himself down and he wept and he he covered his head and he wept. He was broken. But he's broken because, not because he's been found out, but because he has, he realizes he has betrayed Jesus. Now here's the good news. He repented. And we know that he repented because Jesus met him after the resurrection and asked him if he loved him. Peter said over and over, yeah, I love you. And we know that Jesus accepted that because in in Acts chapter 2, Peter's the one who preached on the day of Pentecost when thousands of people got saved. Peter wasn't a failure because he kept too much distance. Peter was a failure because he had too much self-reliance. And also, when he denied Jesus, he lied. And whenever we go against the truth, we deny Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Sometimes we think some truth's not, not, that, not that serious. No, Peter's not saying that, that Jesus isn't the Messiah. He's just saying, I don't know him. A lie is a lie, y'all. We need to remember that. So he... He tried to defend himself. He tried to protect himself. He went against truth, so he went against Jesus. Now, the, the, the contrast is Jesus is upstairs. He has trust himself, trusted himself to the Father, and in that he has confidence, even though he's physically abused. Downstairs, Peter eventually trusts himself to Jesus after his repentance. But in the interim, he's protecting himself. He doesn't think that Jesus can protect him. Now, let me ask you, what do you stand on? Now, I was taught coming up that you don't let anybody run over you. You take care of yourself. Now, you don't go looking for trouble, but if trouble comes your way, you give folks what they come looking for. And if you can't handle it, your big sister will come and help you out. <laughs> She's a lot meaner than me anyway. But it's all up to us. But what the Bible teaches is that God has a plan for our lives. And he calls us to himself. And he calls us for his glory. And he calls us to glorify him. And he is in control. And we don't have to protect ourselves. We just have to draw closer and closer to him and know the truth and let the truth live in us, and that's Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know how, if this would draw anybody to Jesus as Lord and Savior because it doesn't sound all that attractive to me. You know, that, that to come and, and being a, a macho man with this burly beard and all... Um, 
you know, to, to say, well, I have to depend on, on Jesus. That, that doesn't sound very, very manly. But for those of us who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that is what we promised. That is what we said we would count on, is that Jesus is really Lord all the time. And we would trust him as that. That's not a place of weakness. That is a position of strength because he is the creator of everything and he is the sustainer of everything. He is Lord. And the best thing in the world is to belong to Jesus and be in his will. Brothers and sisters, I remind you of that. I call you back to that. If you've yet to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I call you to that. Still the best thing. It doesn't make sense in our worldly minds. But if you're drawn to it, I guarantee it is because, not because I'm such a great speaker, but because God's Spirit is speaking that to your heart. And He is the one that will bring it to pass. And so I challenge you to give your life to Jesus. Well, let go of your life. It's already His. But you trust yourself to Him. And He will give you eternal life. An abundant life that may not be what you thought an abundant life was before you knew Him. But I challenge you and I encourage you, come to Jesus like this. You have to confess our sin. He says we're sinners, we have to agree with him. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. Your Bible tells me, your word tells me that. My experience tells me that. I'm a sinner. Confess our sin. And then confess him as Lord and Savior. He paid for our sin. That gives him the right to rule our life. Confess him as Savior and confess him as Lord. Agree with him. That's who he is. You're not coming up with some idea he hadn't thought of. You're agreeing with what he's already said in his word. And then trust it. Walk in it. Live it. Let him live it through you. Pray, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that Jesus, as best I can understand, Jesus paid for my sin on the cross. And I give my life back to him. Run my life. Give me that eternal life, that abundant life. And use me for your glory. And I pray and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, that he's raised from the dead, you will be saved. That's what we offer you this morning. Would you stand?